back, which is in itself a declaration and a recognition that it is from him that it came in the first place. And that is a part of why we make this an act of worship in our service, because it's a recognition that we trust God with our finances as well. So with that in mind, let me pray quickly over the offering. Lord, we thank you for what you have done and are doing in this church, in this building, in this city, in this place. And we want to invest what we have, what we've been given by you back into your kingdom here in this service, in this church, and in this city, that you would bless it to continue your work here, hopefully long after we're gone. In Jesus' name, amen. So they will pass the hats, and uh, we're going to get into our announcements. Uh, if you didn't know, first of all, today is Palm Sunday. That's why we have a little bit different setup today with the cross here. Kind of, uh, I'm literally preaching in the shadow of the cross, so uh, I can feel the pressure a bit. But uh, it's, it's uh, Palm Sunday today, which is something that we remember as the day that uh, Jesus rode in to Jerusalem with a warm welcome from the people. They laid down palm leaves. They welcomed him warmly into their city. And yet Jesus knew at that moment already what would happen in just five days, that they would be the same. Many of them would be the same people that would yell, crucify him as he went to the cross. And he did it knowing that he was the fulfillment of what had been promised. So it's an important time. And here in Calvary Chapel, Freiburg, I can tell you for sure, we are an Easter church. We like Easter a lot. It's something we take very seriously. And of Second Peter in chapter 2, our series, Standing Out in a Foreign World. And he is at the height of his warning about false teachers. And uh, it doesn't really, I don't know, there's maybe some connections if you're like really good at it, but uh, it doesn't connect so directly with Palm Sunday in a, a typical Palm Sunday message. And so we're going to continue with what we have been looking at with false teachers. Last week, we went through the first half of chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and we started to kind of unpacking the character traits found in these false teachers. So some of the things that they do, some of the things they say, and kind of some things that we want to be on the lookout for, we want to be cautious about. And what I really emphasized last week, that I'll emphasize again this week, is this is serious. This is very serious for us to pay attention to. It's a real thing. Today is going to be more of the same uh, as last week, but with some different focuses, as we'll see. And uh, Last week, I started off with how these, these teachers are like Judas goats, and that was what we called the message last week. And uh, just as a recapper for you who weren't here, Judas goats are these goats, this is a real thing, you can look it up yourself later, are these goats that are trained to be amongst the sheep, to kind of gain their trust so that they can lead the sheep later, after gaining their trust, lead them without fear to their own slaughter. And they lead them right into the slaughterhouse, right to the slaughtering floor, and then they escape through a trap door and the sheep are there left alone. And these are what the false teachers are doing. They're leading people astray, and yet they are doing it in a way that they have gained their trust, so the people do not fear. Peter's trying to prepare us. He's trying to warn us. And in verse 1, he warns right that there will be false teachers among you. There will be false teachers among you. And I say that again because this is not something that stands alone in the past. It's not an isolated incident that Peter's letter dealt with and completely eradicated long ago. The reality is that Jesus, Paul, James, Jude, the book of Hebrews, most of the books of the New Testament and many books in the Old Testament even, give us similar warnings about false teachers. It's all over the Bible, especially in the New Testament. So it must be taken serious that God would find it so important to put it so many times throughout the texts. So I think if you came for the first time today and you haven't been a part of any of this series, you've come on what I hope will be one of the most important messages that we do here. 
There are many false teachers still out there today. Organizations, ministries, preachers and teachers, people within the church, within the Christian community, and they say that they are Christian, and they say that they represent Christ, and that they do bring this message of hope or freedom, and yet when we look a little bit closer, even though it can be so similar as we talked about last week, when we look a little bit closer, we can see they do not preach the truth of Christ, the truth found in God's word. They manipulate it. They twist it. They are like Judas goats. They look the part. They say the right things. They gain the trust of millions and then lead them to their destruction. So our plan today is to go through this text, the rest of chapter 2. It's a lot of text, but we're going to go through all of it. And instead of reading it all at the beginning, we're going to break it down into four sections today. We're going to go through each section one at a time. And some sections will give a little bit more time than others because there are there is some overlap from what we looked at last week. And so we'll kind of uh, focus on a lot of the new things, but we're going to go through this one section at a time. So let's start. Let's get into it. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up. We're going to start at verse 10. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. And we'll, we'll begin with uh, verse 10 through 13. And this section I'm calling, They are arrogant and ignorant toward the Spirit. They are arrogant and ignorant toward the Spirit. So let's read. And I'm starting at the, in the middle of verse 10 because it kind of, it's very poorly divided, I think, amongst the verses. <laughs> So I'm starting with bold and arrogant. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Or better translation would be of glorious ones. And verse 11, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. So we're starting off with a pretty interesting and uh, peculiar phrasing and example that Peter gives us here in this beginning of our text. And I'm referring, of course, to the Example of the celestial beings or glorious ones and to angels. It seems like not maybe there might have been a better, more practical example here. And yet this is the one he chooses. And the phrasing here is a bit ambiguous. Uh, There are some ideas. And so I want to lay out to you what I believe he means here in, in what he's pointing out to. And I'm not alone. This is... There are a lot of commentaries that would, would agree with me on this, but it is a bit ambiguous in the way that he words it. Uh, but then after that, I want to get to the point that he's making, which I believe is much less ambiguous, and that we can stand more firmly on and look at the application in dealing with false teachers today, looking at some things that are some examples that we can use or look at at how these principles fit into false teachers today. So let's look at that. Celestial beings may refer to the fallen angels that he mentioned in verse 4. He talked about, you know, that if God is going to not withhold judgment on angels who have fallen, though, and we talked about it last week, how they had, uh, you know, led by Satan, he took a lot of angels with him. And so what that might be then is demons or some kind of, something in the realm of the demonic is, might be what he's referring to. And this does fit with Jude, which is a very similar text to chapter 2 here in Second Peter. And I'll read verse 9. Uh, and also Jude is dealing with false teachers. It's right on the same topic, same context. And in verse 9 of Jude, he says, But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you, which fits in, I believe, with what he is trying to fit in. So Michael, being the head of all angels, the archangels, he's the kind of head honcho, he's the boss. 
Even he didn't curse the devil. He left it to God to be the judge. And I think that might be what he's trying to imply here in showing their arrogance and their ignorance and their foolishness in the way that they talked and the way that they lived and the things that they were promoting uh, when it came to the spiritual. That even, even Michael, the archangel, isn't cursing uh, the devil. So how much, how does that show about who, what you're, where you stand in your ignorance? So as a side note for that, I think it's something that we can be reminded to be slow when it comes to cursing or judging anyone, but we put our trust in the Lord and we leave him to be the final judge. He is the final authority over all things. And then we can ask, okay, well, we're talking about false teachers. It seems like, are we judging them? What about false teachers? And I would say, yes, they fit into that as well. I'm not wanting to fight anyone. I'm not wanting to judge anybody. But rather, what we want to do, and what we want to be very concrete in, is that we want to reveal the truth of God's word and nothing more. To shed light on some things that are done so that hopefully there will be fewer people, fewer that would be led astray. We want to be concrete in what the word of God says and let that be our foundation above all else. It's too important not to. Because people are at stake, and people's eternity is in the balance. So back to our key point that I believe he is making here in this text. They are arrogant, and they are ignorant toward the spiritual. He says they are bold and arrogant, and then he goes on to say, these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. And this is where I want to spend a little bit of time, because... Here's where we see Peter's tie-in with angels and demons kind of making sense. He's not just trying to fill the space. He's not just thinking of letting, seeing what pops in his head as he writes. He's being tactful. Tactful. That's a weird word. Because they were talking about things they knew nothing about. As if they were experts. Especially when it came to the spiritual as if they had great power over demons and angels, talking arrogantly about these things, when in themselves they, of course, had nothing over them. When we have Christ within us, when we belong to Christ, we have nothing to fear when it comes to the spiritual. Because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. That applies for those who has Christ, that in whom Christ dwells. And at the same time, this is not something to be taken lightly or foolishly or arrogantly. Today we see a lot of movements that are claiming in ignorance to have authority in spiritual things or over spiritual things in which they do not understand. And I want to give a couple examples. Again, I'm sorry for some of you, I'm not going to mention names I have names in mind if you want to talk to me about names or have questions about specific people. You can come and talk to me after the service. But I don't want to mention names here. But I do want to mention some things that I can tell you that are being done that are definitely not of God. And they are out of an ignorant understanding of the spiritual. One I think of right off the top of my head is this grave soaking. If you don't know what that is, there are people who go, and you can look this up, there are tons and hundreds, thousands of videos on YouTube, people talking about this, doing this, going to graves to soak up an anointing of the people that had died. How foolish is that? As if God gives an anointing to someone and thinks, dang it, I forgot to take it back before they died. You're going to have to go soak it up out of the ground. That's not who God is. That's an ignorant and foolish understanding of the spiritual. It's not biblical. And it's a complete misunderstanding. And I want to be clear, if you're laying on a grave and you absorb anything spiritual, I want to be very clear, it's not from God. It's not a spiritual anointing. I don't know what you're absorbing, but I wouldn't recommend sticking around. Be watchful. 
These kind of arrogant and ignorant views of the spiritual is dangerous. And it's a false teaching. And people who promote that or do those things are leading people astray out of an ignorant and arrogant view of the spiritual. We don't want to take this stuff lightly as if it's, who cares, whatever, you know, I laid on a grave and maybe I'll soak something, maybe I won't, whatever. Man, no, it's from a place of foolishness. Don't lead or don't be led by people that promote that kind of thing. Be careful of who you are letting input into your life. Who are you letting speak truth into your life and into your heart? Another one I think of, I want to be, again, not mentioning names, just being clear about this is amongst many ministries, is this idea of having no control over your body. And what I'm talking about is these things where people are getting together and they're having uncontrolled laughter or convulsions or abrupt movements that they, have, they say they have no control over because the Spirit of God is doing it. That's not the Spirit of God. That's not how He works. We don't see that in Scripture. We don't see anywhere where people have no control over their body. It's not in the Word of God. In fact, the contrary on the contrary, the opposite is true. In 1 Corinthians 14, 32, it says the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Meaning, if it's something from the Lord, you will never be out of control. You will never be helplessly and completely without control of yourself if it's the Holy Spirit of God. So if you don't have control, you might have something else. When a ministry is having services where they are teaching about having uncontrolled experiences. It's not God. It's not biblical. Get out of there. Don't let that be something that's being input into your life. It's dangerous. I say this harshly and I say this sober and somberly because it's so important. And it's something that burdens my heart. I grew up in a church like that. This is not on my notes. Always a dangerous thing. I grew up in a church like that, where that was not uncommon amongst our youth group, amongst the, even in the children's ministry. And God is gracious. I learned the truth somehow in the midst of that. And my church wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad people. But that was a dangerous doctrine. And it's, I see now that it's not biblical. And so I just when we see this tie in with the spiritual and their arrogance and their boldness when it comes to spiritual acts and the spiritual realm, this is something we see quite often today and we need to be cautious and careful about it. If you see something like that, if you go to a service like that, check it with the word of God. We don't trust our own senses. You know, I always... Again, not on my notes. I'm going way off my notes. Super dangerous. But I think I just think really quickly of uh, like optical illusions. I love optical illusions. It's something that I, I find fascinating. That we can literally look at something and consciously know what it is, and yet our brain tells us that we see something different. I can't trust my own experiences. I can't trust my own senses. I trust the Word of God. That's why we have a book. We have something concrete to stand on no matter what. It is the truth above all else. No matter what we see or what we experience or what we think we've felt, we always go back to the Word of God as the concrete foundation on which we stand. Now, I want to be clear, if you have had experiences like that, I mean, I have. <laughs> And I think that's something we have to be aware of is that as human beings, we are incredibly capable of mimicking one another. So if I grow up in a service as I did and I saw everyone else doing it, I felt like, well, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I'm supposed to be feeling. And so we convince ourselves that that's what's there. And so there is an element of that. And again, God is gracious. God brings us out of those things. But I also think we need to be careful because if... It isn't you, it isn't mimicking, it's not the Holy Spirit. 
It's not of God. So be careful. It says they are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct. And this is the depiction we see with this kind of behavior, this kind of idea, this kind of teaching that is being promoted to lose control, to be animalistic. There are videos even of people barking like dogs. I can't make that up. I've, that's, that's a real thing. There are services where people are doing this. And I'm telling you, that's not God. I keep saying it, but I just feel like we really need to emphasize this. God is a God also of the mind. He wants us to know him and experience him in amazing ways. And I'm not belittling experiencing God. I love the moments when I experience God's grace. And it is something tangible. It is something you feel. It is something real. And I don't in any way want to belittle that. But I would never make that the standard of my belief if it is contrary to the word of God. God always wants to bring our mind in to Romans 12 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't just do what everyone else is doing. Don't just do it because, well, it's, it seems like it's not a bad thing. Don't just do it because that's what is popular. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's as simple as it gets when it comes to these things. Be leery of those that promote or teach anything that would mean abandoning your mind or your reasoning. When your heart is Christ's and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the real, genuine Holy Spirit given to us through our relationship to Christ is transforming you, your mind will always be along for the ride. And you will be hungry for it, for his truth found in the word of God. The spiritual world is real and should not be taken lightly. So renew your mind through the word of God so that you know who you are in Christ. That you can test when things come up. When you do have an experience, you have a mind to test those experiences against the truth of God's word. And that you can know Christ as the one who dwells within you. The true and genuine Jesus Christ of the Bible. As we talked about last week. Not some version of him. Not the parts we like. Removing the parts we don't. But the genuine, true Christ. And that we have nothing to fear then. We have nothing to fear then. Not because of who we are. And our boldness and our arrogance. But because of who we're with. Because Jesus Christ is with us. Let's move into section number two. This one I would call greedy and lustful in the light of day. Another thing we see in these false teachers. Verse 13, the rest of 13b through 16. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an, acu an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezar can correct me afterwards, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So some of this we covered last week. I'll do a little bit of overlap, but hopefully not too much for those of you who are here. Uh, these teachers that Peter is, I think, maybe having in mind specifically, there's definitely some kind of focus he has here uh, are in, in the realm of who he's thinking of. They were in it for the money. They were in it for financial gain. They were selling something, and what they were selling was a life of freedom, but a life of freedom to also live in sin. And they lived it all 
in broad daylight. <laughs> what most would do in, in secret, what, what most would hide from the world in shame, they did unashamedly, revealing their pleasures while they feast with you. Now what that was talking about is in those days, something I'd love to see come back, the churches feasted on a regular basis. So they had like the church picnic, they had like their summer fest, whatever it would be. They did it like all the time, at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week. They got together, they feasted and celebrated together and enjoyed each other's company. I'm all about feasting, you can bring that back. But at these events, in the midst of these events, these false teachers, these guys, they were drinking a bit too much. They were wandering around, they were lusting after the women. It says, with eyes full of adultery. So they were just eyeing all the ladies, getting drunk, sitting in the corner. I don't know what it looked like, but I mean, I just, you can picture it for yourself. But whatever they were doing, they were not ashamed. They weren't doing it back behind the building. They were doing it in front of everybody. And yet, maybe, I don't know what happened here, but maybe they were really great speakers, really charismatic, good at bringing in a crowd. Maybe they had the right look, you know, not like me, they like dressed cool like Giannis. They had the best bands at their events. They had the best music, all the lighting. They had everything right. Whatever it was, even though they were clearly living in open rebellion to the truth, even though it was obvious that they weren't preaching the truth or living it, it says that they, 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 they started to get a gathering. They seduced the unstable. They brought in people who were on the fence, who, I don't know what, I, I think I believe this. I think this is true. They were the ones that were getting sucked into these false teachers. And it says, being experts in greed, they wandered away from the straight path that leads, as we looked at last week, through the narrow gate that Christ calls us to. Narrow is the gate. It's a hard path to follow Christ, but wide is the path that leads to destruction. They went that direction and went instead the way of Balaam. What is the way of Balaam? Well, if you don't know the story, it's found in Numbers 22 and 23. You can read it on your own time. I'll give you a quick summary. He was a prophet. He was a prophet of God, uh, but he wasn't a part of Israel. He was in another land, and I'm just giving the very short version of the story. Basically, the Israelites had come into this land, and they wanted to pass through it, and the king was like, ah, no, I don't want you to come through, because there were so many of them. It was like more than you could count, and he was thinking, the Israelites are going to come into my land, and they're just going to take it, because I wouldn't be able to stop them. There's too many of them. So he thinks, mm, I know what I'll do. I'll get Balaam, who talks to God, he's a prophet of God, I'll get him to curse these people so that they either go away or, I don't know, something bad happens, whatever, whatever curses, any curse is good, just a curse so that they won't be a problem. So he goes to Balaam, and first Balaam says no, he's like, nah, I think those are like God's people, but then he kind of is like, well, if the money's right, I could sell myself out, I could be a sellout. Basically is what happened. So he sets out, and one of my favorite stories, I wish we had time to get more into it, but he's heading off to curse the Israelites, God's chosen people, and there's an angel in his path that's ready to kill him, and he doesn't see it, but I love that God reveals it to the donkey. Like, I mean, how humbling is that? It's like, sorry, I'm not going to show you. Your donkey's going to be the one you have to follow. You have to be led by your donkey. And so he tries to beat the donkey, and the donkey won't go. And finally, God opens the donkey's mouth, and he's like, Dude, there's an angel, man. Like, come on. Have I ever done anything that would make you doubt me? If I'm not going to go, there's a reason. I'm paraphrasing. I think that's a fair paraphrase. I mean, the donkey was kind of pissed. At any rate... He can't, he, he realizes he's, he's kind of humbled there, and he ends up going anyway. God lets him go, but then all God lets him do is bless the Israelites. So it's, it's a great story. You should read it. But the way of Balaam is to seek personal gain or glory or financial gain in the name of God as your, as your primary focus. And this can be people who become wealthy, who become popular, who become powerful in the name of Christianity or of God himself because that's what they really want. And man, there are a lot of people who are doing that. In the realm of megachurches and 
YouTube stars and everything we have today, there are many people who are claiming this idea of Christianity. I don't even want to get started on Christian music. There are people who are promoting themselves as Christian, but they don't, they're not Christian. They're in it for the money. They're in it for the gain. They're in it for the popularity, for the glory, for themselves. That is the way of Balaam. These false teachers were gathering followers, and I think what we can see if we look at the context, don't have time to break it down, but they were probably taking people and charging them for a service or for teaching or whatever it was. They're like, hey, here's what Peter's saying, here's what Paul is saying. We've got like the real truth. You, they talk about freedom, we, wanna, we can get you to the next level of freedom. You don't have to obey all the laws. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do this. So they were, what they said was really enticing, as we looked at last week. And then they were saying, okay, now let's, you got to pay us if you want class number two. I don't know, whatever it was. And there are teachers that have gone this way today. Man, there are. I mentioned it last week, that prosperity gospel, anything centered in the word of faith movement, is not the gospel of Christ. It doesn't fit with what Jesus taught, with what Jesus said. Watch out for those who seem to have great gain because of their work for God. Again, as I mentioned last week, not that it's bad to pay the pastors. Amen. Yeah, we want to pay pastors. It's a good thing. But let's get real. When people are living in these $20 million houses and have private jets thinking where did I go wrong I'm preaching the wrong gospel that's crazy money in itself isn't evil don't misunderstand me people can be rich and and serve God Jesus says it'll be hard but they can do that money is not evil but Jesus is clear that a love of it is the root of all evil greed is the root of all evil because they may start off good, but sometimes when you get up at the top and you're, it's easy to take in loads of money, it can corrupt the heart. And when it comes to teaching, someone driven by greed, who's driven by, I want, I want people to love me, I want people to like me, I want people to give to my ministry, they're going to be motivated to not preach the truth. Because following Jesus, as I mentioned, is not always easy. It's hard. And so they preach a false truth that God, following God is, means only good things will happen to you. God only wants to bless you. He only wants to give you good things in your life. Only good things will happen to you if you follow him. If, you're do, if, he's, if things aren't good, then it's because you're not believing enough. It's because you're doing something wrong. That's not what Christ taught, and it's not what Christ lived So if you're following that Jesus that teaches that, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible went to his own death. He was beaten, bruised, and yet, as we looked at in 1 Peter, he said nothing against anybody who did that to him. It wasn't Jesus' fault. It's not because he didn't believe enough that that happened. And yet we're called to follow him. We are to take up our cross an instrument of death, and follow him. This is not the, the reality that they're teaching, that everything will go good for you. So be on your guard against those that have gone the way of Balaam. Be on your guard. Section number three. This one's a bit shorter. So we have one more section after this. Verse 17. We'll just look at verse 17. These people are springs without water and mist-driven by a storm, blackest darkness is reserved for them. We talked a lot about what's coming on them last week with the destruction and, the, and hell is a place that's, that's real and, and something that he's talking about here. So I'm not going to be focusing much on that. And When I read this, I thought of an illustration of my own life. And uh, I'm from Texas, if you couldn't tell. I can talk more of a Texas accent if it helps. No, okay. We don't talk like that. No. I'm looking at Will. He's from Texas. He knows. But I can tell you, and I'm pretty sure he can agree with me, it's very hot there. And it's very dry. And in the heat of summer, it's quite often, I mean, almost at least once a year with a few exceptions, we have some kind of drought. There's water bans. We really need the rain. We start to become very desperate for rain. 
And something that I've seen that's, I don't know why this happens, or if you're like more studied in this, you can tell me what's going on here. But something I've seen often in a hot summer day is what will happen is you'll see all of a sudden clouds come in. The wind will pick up, the sky will grow dark, black, and you'll think, oh, finally some rain is here. And then for about two seconds it will rain, a few drops fall, and then all of a sudden the wind picks up again and the cloud dissipates and it's like it was never there. And that's what I see illustrated in these false teachers. They are empty clouds. They bring excitement. They make a big show. They've got the wind blowing. The sky is dark. Everything seems like, oh man, there's, there's something coming here. There's something I can gain here. There's got to be a truth here. Look at everything. Look at all they're doing. Everything that's presented here. And the people look at them for something life-giving. But they cannot deliver. They have nothing to give. They're empty clouds and they will wisp away into history as quickly as they came and the tragedy is that they will carry many away with them many of those who are on the edge those who are close to the truth and they will be whisked away with these false promises section number four better to have never known Better to have never known. Verse 18 through 21. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves of whatever has mastered them. I'll stop really quickly as a recap from last week that they were selling again freedom but it was a twisting of Paul and Peter's teaching of the freedom we have in Christ. And they took it to the extreme that we have license then to do whatever we want. So that's kind of what he's talking about. And of course, the truth is that, we, that uh, we're, we're slaves of something. <laughs> we're all slaves of something. Something is our master. Something is, has enslaved us. And when we belong to Christ, our hearts are changed and our desires are changed. And therefore, our actions will follow. And so I want to just encourage you, let us not be mastered by our flesh or our desires, but be mastered by Christ himself through his love for us because he first loved us while we were yet sinners and by his grace and making him our Lord. So, side note, back to our text. And this is where we're going to actually focus in verse 20 and 21. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it, and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Now, when I read this, I, I first ask, who are these people? Who are they? Who are these ones that have, been, that have bought into the false teaching, right? He says in verse 18, people who are just escaping from those who live in error. In verse 14, they seduce the unstable. Verse 20, they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what, are these believers... Are these Christians? Because this is, these are teachers within the church. These are people who are, who are reaching out to the Christian communities then and today. Are these people that are being led astray, that it would have been better if they had never known, are they Christians? Well, a key to this answering this question, I believe, is in the word corruption. Because it's not a very good translation, in my opinion. I struggle sometimes with the NIV. And a better translation, when we look at the Greek, especially how it's used in other contexts, although it's not used anywhere else in Scripture, but in other contexts in Greek culture, it's better used as pollution. And I think corruption is a bit ambiguous, whereas pollution is something that's always outside of us. Peter's referring to an outward effect of the world. They've escaped the corruption, the pollution of the world. 
What does that mean? They escaped it how? By hearing the truth. They heard the truth. But are they Christians? Well, the, the, the key is here is that there's nothing about, there's nothing that we see here in the text about what is going on on the inside. What's happening in their hearts? Is their heart changed? Is their heart transformed? And I think of the parable of the sower with the imagery that, or the, the way that he phrases this, where Jesus talks about uh, somebody throwing seed. And this is the truth. This is the word of God. This is the gospel. It's being thrown out. And one of the places that it falls on is amongst the weeds. And it grows up. It, it, it grows up strong. It looks good. Everything looks healthy. It looks like it's going to survive. It looks like it's grasped the truth. And yet the weeds then grow up around it and choke it out, and it dies. It's a depiction of those led away from the truth they have heard by false teachers or by the enticing allure of the world that they have just escaped from. This is what the false teachers were selling. And I think that it's important to note that These are people, these are people realistically, let's break this down a little more practically, again, going off my notes, even though we're getting late. These are people who have come to church. They've listened to the podcasts of those preachers. They've heard the truth. They've heard the real gospel. And yet they were then pulled away by something that sounded better, that sounded more alluring. Well, I struggle with this part of the Bible, so, and they say that I don't have to accept that, so... I'm going to go over there. It's more comfortable there. But they were clean. They had just escaped. They were just escaping. They were just cleaning themselves up. They were saying you can, they were choosing which parts they liked about the Bible. What parts they could accept and still be Christian But we saw last week that a piece of the truth is not the truth. To take a portion of the Bible and this portion and this and not this and not this is not the truth at all. It's not God. It's not Christ. You are creating your own version. Can a child of God then be led astray? Well, I think in this context we can look at 1 John 2.19 which says they went out from us but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Those who leave the truth for something else, whether it's the world or a false doctrine, never really believed in their heart. They had never truly accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior said last week, you can say, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, but it's believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's what Paul says, and you will be saved. And obviously, we can never know. I can never know what's happening in your heart. But we can only see what your life produces by the fruit. Jesus Christ was not their Lord. They fit in. They looked the part. But deep down, they had not changed. They had not been transformed. Like a cup washed clean on the outside, but still filthy on the inside. And it would have been better if they had never heard the truth. It would have been better if they had never heard. He's pointing that their punishment seems more severe because they are without excuse. They've heard the truth. They even acted like they believed it for a time, and yet they abandoned it. Jesus gives many examples about this. I was very torn on what to use, but he talks about woe to these towns that he's been to. So he had gone to all these different towns and performed great miracles, people being raised from the dead, healings, great preaching. They had seen Christ in person, and yet they did not repent. They did not believe. And he says, woe to you. Woe to you. And he even goes on to say, if the miracles that that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, 
It would still remain to this day, but I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you, because you've seen me in person. You've seen my miracles. You've, you have no excuse. You've heard the truth. They were without excuse. And today, we all stand together in this, don't we? At least if you've been to a few of these services or any of the services here in Calvary Chapel, you've heard the truth. You've heard the truth. And if we then turn away from that truth now and reject it, it would have been better if we had never heard it because we are without excuse before Christ. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our Savior, and through his death and resurrection, we are offered salvation freely when we believe and make him Lord of our lives. And he says, if you love me, follow me. And if you love me, obey my commands. This is the sign, the fruit of those who truly belong to him. To reject the whole truth of God's word or any part of it And the grace and the work given to us through Jesus Christ is to reject the authority. As he says in verse 1, you reject the authority, you deny the sovereign Lord who bought you. And lastly, I'm sorry we went a little long, but I think this is too important to cut early as I sometimes do. Our last section, section 4.1, I'm calling it the bonus track. We're going to read the last verse, verse 22 where we see a great image. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow or pig that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. What a vivid and graphic image for those who have heard the truth and yet rejected it. We know the story of the prodigal son. If you don't, it was a son, he wanted to go and do his own thing, to live his own life. He says, Dad, I want all my money, all my inheritance, everything that's going to be mine. Eventually, I want it now so I can go and do what I want. He goes, he parties, he lives out his life until he has nothing left, and he finds himself in the mud with pigs, which was as low as you could go. I mean, this, was a, I mean, this is technically a Jewish proverb, so that's, you know, pigs were very unclean. You could not get lower than being amongst the pigs and eating what they're eating. And then he says, wait a minute, my, my dad has servants, he has slaves in his house that live better than this. What am I doing? I'll just go back and at least be a slave. Maybe he'll let me serve in his house. So he goes back, he goes home, and his dad welcomes him with open arms. He says, welcome home, son. Not slave, not servant, but son. Because a son is always a son. Even in the mud, he will always eventually, a son or a daughter, will always eventually want to go home to Christ. Now, what about the parable of the prodigal pig? Do you guys know that one? Maybe not. It's the same thing. There's the pig. Maybe he's there with the son. Here's about this house, and it sounds great. There's food. I'm coming with. So he goes with the son. He's washed clean. Little blue bow maybe on the neck. It's a cute little pig. But soon it's not not, not satisfying. It's not where I want to be. I don't like all this cleanness all the time. This is what I want. I want my mud. I want to go back to the mud. So the pig leaves and goes home to the mud. And we see this two-way street within churches and within the world again and again. We see prodigal sons who reject the truth for a time or maybe were, hadn't heard it yet and yet they are drawn into it and they come home to Christ. And there are people who are within the church, people who are even in ministry in the church that say, that look the part. Maybe they're even deacons. They're all clean. They've got the bow. Everything looks nice. And yet, deep down, they're just washed cups on the outside, but dirty on the inside. And they want to go back to the mud. It's not 
where you come from. And it's not where you are. If you're in the church, if you're even the preacher, or if you're out in the world, it's where you're going. And that's determined by what's on the inside. What happens on the inside, on the heart, and what you truly believe and what you truly accept as truth. The prodigal son knew his father was his father, even when he lived in sin. But the pig never saw him as his father. He always wanted to go back to the mud. It matters where your heart is and who your heart belongs to. Does it belong to the world? Is it led by yourself? Or does it belong ultimately to Christ? Many have been deceived, believing they are of the Father's household because they look and smell clean on the outside, but deep down, they only really longed to get back to the mud. And we who belong to Christ have everything we need to live by the divine nature, as he says in chapter 1. So I'll end with this. Seek to be sure that you belong to God. Seek to be sure. Make every effort to know that you belong to him. And I'll conclude with reading verse 10 and 11 of, of chapter 1 of Second Peter, which I still hold that is the pinnacle of chapter 1 and 2. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Be sure that you belong to the Lord. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the point. We need to continue to seek him and to persevere day after day to take up our cross and deny ourselves and deny our own fleshly desires every single day and to persevere until the end because our Christian walk is not a moment. It's not one decision. It's a lifelong journey. And all those who truly believe, and all those who be truly believe and accept Christ as their Lord and belong to him, will be transformed by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit as it's promised to us in Romans, and they will endure to the end, and they will be welcomed into eternity. And it's only then that we truly know who is a son or a daughter and who is a pig. I'll invite the band to come up. So we pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. It is a strong and powerful text that it's not my words, it's yours. It's not my truth, it's yours. And I pray, Father, that you would make this real to us, make, sharpen our minds, that our minds would truly be renewed by your truth and by your word so that we would know how to test what is your good will, what is your good and perfect will. And to know the difference between real and full and genuine truth of God and false teaching that looks like the truth but fails to fulfill the promises that you give us. Lead us, Lord, and fill us with your spirit. We desperately need you day after day after day that we may persevere to the end, in your name and by your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in closing, I'll invite you guys to stand up as we close with a song together.
You're a good, good father It's who you are It's who you are It's who you are And I'm loved by you It's who I am It's who I am It's who I am I've seen many searching for dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.
Amen. Awesome. Well, as always, take a moment to greet someone around you before you head out. And if you have any questions or you do want to discuss anything that we talked about today, please feel free to come and talk to me. Or if you need prayer, I'd be happy to pray with you.